The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. I just want to show you something. It's been in the news lately in BBC, um, out in South Africa, in an area called Ladysmith. There was a herdsman who went out to the field, and he just happened to be with his, his cattle or sheep. I don't know what it was, but he's just known as a herdsman. And he found this diamond in the ground. And it's like, oh my goodness. And what's amazing is this man didn't keep it to himself and go dig for a month, you know? He told the whole town because they've been suffering for a while, especially with COVID. They've been, uh, their, their economy is, is, is racked a bit. And so he shared it with everybody. Thousands. One person counted 3,000 people in this one field. Everybody looking for diamonds. In fact, one, one thing on the video on BBC, a guy's holding up a diamond this big. Uh, However, they don't know they're actually diamonds yet, okay? Um, but everybody is looking for an opportunity because they found something valuable. They left the comfort of their homes. They left things behind just to go out and work in the fields. Now, the local authorities have said, please don't come out. Please don't. And you've got to wonder if the local authorities just want the diamonds for themselves. But they're saying, no, you could be spreading COVID. We, we don't want you out here. Please don't do it. But I bring this to your attention because... When we find a treasure, when we find something that maybe we overlooked before, we say there's something valuable here, we're willing to give things up to go find it. And that's what my own walk with God has been in, in the Word. For seasons, I didn't really uh, look at the Word as something I could get treasures out of. I was told to do it when I first was born again, read two chapters a, a day and pray for five minutes. That was kind of what like, we were told. And I read it because that's what I was supposed to do. But then I found over time that there's rich things in the Word of God that, that just elevate your understanding of who God is. In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Here again we have this, this story, this little short parable where somebody has found something very valuable. In fact, they're willing to give up everything else they used to consider valuable to have this new valuable thing. And so this series on the treasure in the word, our lives are shifting again. COVID hopefully is coming to a close to some degree. Our lives are kind of settling. Our schedules are settling. Some people are getting new jobs. I've heard some wonderful testimonies about people getting jobs, God's hand being upon it. But as we shift into our new schedules, we want to entice you to raise up the word of God again, that you will find treasures that make your life have meaning and purpose. So don't miss, even as we shift into this new season, the opportunity to make the word of God part of it. Because the word of God in 2 Timothy this is a writing of a father to a son. Paul considered Timothy his son in the faith. He wrote to Timothy and said in 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breathed out by, or, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, this is just a, a nutshell of some of the blessings that the Word of God has in our life. And we want to unpack this just for a moment. Paul is saying all Scripture is God-breathed. The life of God, the essence of God is in these words. There's something about the Word. Not the book itself, not the print, but between the words, we get something of who God is, His character, His nature. And this pursuit is that treasure. The greatest treasure in the Word of God is knowing who He is. Not founded on thoughts or ideas or positive things, just kind of not rooted in anything, but rooted in the history of a God who's come and ministered to people for generations upon generations. He's described who he is because his breath is in this word. I have, a, I have a note that I keep from my mom. She passed away a few years ago. It's not a significant note. It's just another one of her dozen little notes that she would send. She'd send articles and she'd say, oh, please read this, da-da-da-da. Love you, have a happy new year, you know, all that kind of stuff. She loved to send notes. In fact, she kept notes going to all her friends and 19 of her grandkids for years. She just mailed things all the time. She loved sending out notes. But when I see that note scribbled literally on the back of a magazine, there's something in the way she wrote and the words that she said that remind me of her kindness. There's something almost, if you will, God breathed. It's not so much the note, but it's the way she wrote and the way that she would communicate and the way she cared for people that's encapsulated in that note. And it encourages me. It, it does actually raise up other emotions too. There's still sadness in it. There's still just a wealth of emotions that come out of it. This is God-breathed. If you give yourself to this, there's a wealth of emotion that will begin to come out because you begin to realize this is telling us deep within our souls who our God is. And honestly, I think even as believers, many of us still wonder who God is. Like, what's he feel about this? And what's he feel about that? And how does he feel about me now? And what's going on? It's here. His breath is here. His breath, his very breath is spoken in these words. Also in this, in this little passage we just read in 2 Timothy, it says that the word is good for instruction, that it corrects us. It can change the path that our minds go on. It can change the trajectory of our life. It can move us from one direction to another. It helps us battle deception. It comes against the lies of the world and the lies of the enemy that want to value other things above God. It strengthens us against temptation. It equips us to do good and to do it well. And overall, it just encourages our heart. Now, I want to turn to the Old Testament because it kind of elaborates on this further. In Proverbs 7, verses 1 through 5, it says, My son, and you have to imagine that this is none other than King Solomon writing these words, Possibly to his own sons. Like this is a personal note. But it's gone beyond even just the, the note to uh, his kids. It's been published beyond that. My son, keep my words. And treasure up my commands with you. 
Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye and bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, this comes from meditation. And when you meditate on the word and think about it, say to wisdom, okay, wisdom, you're my sister. You know, say to wisdom, you're my sister. I have a relationship with you. You're close. You're not just a distant relative. You're my sister. I'm keeping you close. And call insight. Hi, insight. I want to be your intimate friend. I want to be close with you. I want to have a relationship with you, insight. I want you to be somebody who sits down and has a cup of coffee with me. Insight, I want to know you. Consider insight, an intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman and from the adulteress with her smooth, smooth words. <clears throat> now, this verse is particularly talking about adultery. But it certainly has more wide range of application to it. It's really speaking that when our hearts are full with treasure, with insight, with love for wisdom, that our cup is so full that there's no room for looking for comfort elsewhere. We don't go hunting for things outside of our relationship with God. That it's so fulfilling that our hearts are less likely to go after other things. We need this. We need this, and it's a treasure to our souls. Now, I want to just touch on a few things, and this is just kind of setting the stage for the next couple of messages. We looked at the picture from South Africa and the people looking for treasure and hunting for it. They're hunting with expectation. They're hunting with an expectation and anticipation that they are going to find something, and many of them have. Okay? Many are walking away saying, oh, this is going to provide for my family. This could be amazing. This is going to be a game changer for us. And when we approach the Word of God, I have to say, if you're not used to the Word of God, there's hindrances that can come to you. And I want to talk about three tools, okay, for those who are new to the Word and those who are even advanced in it or have had long seasons in the Word. The first and most important, well, not the most important, the first, let me say, is humility. If you're new to the Word, you can say, I don't get it. I don't understand. It's, a, it's so foreign to me. I don't even know what he's talking about. I don't know the context. Humble your heart. Bring humility to the word. God, I, I don't understand this all. Some of them is hard and I don't get it. But you say it's God breathed. This is your note to me. This is your revelation of who I am. God, I humble my heart and say, I don't understand it all, but I believe you sent it. And approach it from a position of humility. Now, those of you who, who've been in the, in the Word longer, we can still take hold of humility as we approach the Word because it's often our lack of humility that holds us back from it. Oh, no, no, I, I read it before. I kind of get it. I know. I know that. Oh, I know that book. I know this. No. We say humbly, God, I only know a fraction of who you are. And what I know is wonderful. But you have more for me from this Word. And God, I humble my heart and say, forgive me for thinking I know so much, and yet I know so little. God, my heart needs more of you and the knowledge of who you are. God, please help me as I approach your breath. The second tool is the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we, we, we don't even think because he's with us all the time. If you're a believer, he's with you. 
But you can invite him. Holy Spirit, please teach me. Jesus said you'd, he'd send you so that you could teach me all things. This word is spirit and life. And I need your spirit to teach me. I humble myself and say, Holy Spirit, please reveal to me truth. Speak to me through this word. I don't just want my head filled with thoughts. I want to know God. The third tool is prayer and meditation. Now, I wrote meditation up there, but it's really prayer and meditation, and it's not Eastern meditation. Let me just be very specific. In fact, when God um, had the Israelites conquer land, he said, don't have anything to do with those foreign religions. It will corrupt the way you worship me. Don't go to Eastern practices. Don't go to other religions and faiths to try to learn how God wants you to approach him. Come in the method that God's shown you. Come in this meditation is taking a truth, taking a wonder, and praying it with God, okay? Now let me elaborate. When you come across something that sparks your heart, whether it's in a sermon, whether you're reading, whether you're at a conference, or whether you're in a, in, in a conversation with a godly friend, if something strikes you and there's this, this air of it, that oh, God is saying something. Treasure. Write it down. Don't leave your friend at the table with a cup of coffee there, but finish your conversation and make time to dwell upon it. When you're reading the Word, if you're reading big sections to kind of get the whole story, write down, even in your Bible, what it is and go back to it. Make a time to go back to it and say, God, what are you saying? Reveal this to my heart. I know maybe a little bit what it means, but there's something here. Treasure it. And the reason I say this, and, and when we think about the, the uh, South Africaners all in the field, they knew that because one person found a treasure in the field, they knew there's others. And when you grab hold of a treasure, it will open up other treasures to you. I have not had a time where something true came to, well, maybe I have. I, when I've touched a truth, I've had times where, oh my God, if this means this, then this means this. <gasps> and he's saying this over here. Oh my God, he's saying this. Could he really have all this time been saying evil is not just evil, but evil is living without God? Evil is living without a concept that God has made everything and I need to live in communion with him? Is that truly what evil is defined? That struck my heart one day. And then I start looking through the word. Oh my God, he's talking about evil again. Maybe he's not just talking about being a bad guy. He's talking about something more about the heart of the matter, about the heart in the garden that said, oh, that fruit looks good to my eye all of a sudden. It's the heart. That was a freebie. That wasn't really part of the message, but here we go. Evil is another day. Um, let's see. But I just quickly, I, I realize I'm farther, I'm not as far as I need to be, but I want to just briefly go over two scriptures that have been treasures to me, and one has opened up the other, Okay. I was reading in Ezekiel, and I'm not going to read, I'm going to really surmise quickly. You come to 39 in Ezekiel, and God says to the prophet Ezekiel, you're going to tell the people, you're going to declare to them that everyone in the world will know that my judgment upon you is from me because of your iniquity. This trouble will be known around the world because you have transgressed against me. You've been treacherous, it even says to me. You've been treacherous. And not just once, this is a long time coming. I mean, they were treacherous for hundreds of years. And then in the next breath, he says, but I will restore the fortunes of Israel. 
I will bring you back to this land. You're exiled now. But and what you have to see is there's not even a moment in there where, where God is saying, okay, they repented, they did this, they did this, they did this, and now I've got a plan to redeem them. It's already on God's heart wherever you are at today to bring him back to yourself, back to himself. One time I thought, God could be planning your next smile. So in Ezekiel, he says, know this. I'm going to restore you. I'm not done with you. I had to turn my face for a moment, but I, not even for a split second, I'm back on track and I want to restore you. And then in chapter 40, he goes into a part of Ezekiel that most people moan and groan about. I have to tell you, I've talked to people about this for years. They get to the part in 40 in Ezekiel and they say, oh, I don't get that bit. I'm not, I'm not uh, connecting here with this bit in Ezekiel. That's what people often say. And I've said the same thing. I've avoided Ezekiel because it's hard and I don't understand it. But as I read through this, I saw, oh my goodness, he wants to bring the people back to himself instantly before they repent. And then the next thing is he starts saying, this is what the temple's going to be like. And an angel appears, or some being, and begins to measure out this new temple. It goes into the length of the walls, the height, the depth, the, the arches, the pomegranates on the wall, the curtains. It talks about everything about this new temple. And you realize that God isn't speaking to me, but God wrote this word for every generation, every tribe, every tongue, every people around the globe. Who could write such a book that would touch people around the globe? He knew every, every people group that this would touch. And this specifically was written to Israel in a time of terrible, terrible uh, despair. They'd lost their nation, they'd lost their temple, they'd lost their king, the lineage of David, all the promises. It was like the promises of God were done. And here comes Ezekiel saying, no, I've got in mind, God has got in mind this whole temple. And he shows them a whole picture. He doesn't just say he's going to restore you. He begins to speak life to you and give you a plan and help you out. He is giving you pictures of what life could look like beyond where you're at today. That's amazing. Now, in the shortness of time, I just want to jump to another verse that really stuck with me. And it came out of this meditating on Ezekiel. They're related, even though they seem so distant. In Isaiah 50, I was reading. And I've read through Isaiah a number of times. And if you begin to saturate in Isaiah, you see that there's this interesting flow, like he speaks about judgment, but then he starts to speak about restoration, just like Ezekiel. And then there's these nuggets in there about the Messiah, about the coming king, about the future. It's beyond their time and place. They didn't get to see the Messiah, but he's already. And it, then, it, then it goes back to judgment, and then it comes up again. Hey, and you read it, it's like, is he talking about Jesus here? Or is he talking about something, uh, a current event? And it could be both. You're like, okay, this could be both. And he comes, and many of you know Isaiah 53, which is like the amazing chapter about the suffering king, the one who's going to suffer, the lamb that came to pay for our sins. It's an amazing chapter that could speak of no one else other than our Messiah, Jesus. It's an amazing thing, written hundreds and hundreds of years before he came. But there's other nuggets in there that are often overlooked. In Isaiah 50, this is what it says. Starting at verse 4, 
And it's even before this and a little bit after, but I'm just going to read this section. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Let me stop here. As I read this and I realized he's talking a little bit about Jesus, I thought, you've been disgraced. You've been disgraced. So how can it go on and say, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint and I know that I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up. Who is my adversary? Let him come near. And I begin imagining, is this written to Jesus? Is this a word written, planted in the word that Jesus would come across in his time on earth, in the most difficult time period, to encourage him through the most difficult trial? Now what's different about Jesus' trial from the Israelite trial, if his trial wasn't caused by sin. And the Bible is abundantly clear that not every trouble and trial you go through is caused by your own sin. Please understand that. If you're going through a difficulty, it is not because you've done anything wrong. It's not necessarily anything you've done wrong. It could just be something that's beyond our understanding for the glory of God or for another purpose. But here, Jesus... I have this picture of him surrounded by people, yelling at him, telling him he's guilty. And he's in this midst, beard pulled out, spit upon. And it says, no, I will not be disgraced. When I started meditating, I thought, you've been disgraced already. You've been brought low. They've spit upon you. How can you say you're not disgraced? says, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And then the next verse it says, I am not disgraced. What's before me now, I don't care. I know my God is with me. Through this trial, through this trouble, my God is with me. Who's around me, it says? They're nothing. They're like the moth that will be eaten up and gone tomorrow. But my God is with me and my vindication is real. He will see me through. I will not be ashamed. I will not be disgraced. So whatever trouble you're going through today, it says you do not have to sit in the disgrace of it. You can wipe it off and say, no, God is going to bring me into something greater. My God is still with me. He speaks words in here specifically to people in times and cultures, but it resonates with us today. This defines who God is. This is his breath to us. When it says in the New Testament, his kindness leads us to repentance, that's what he did in the Old Testament. His kindness was leading them to repentance. When it says he wants to encourage our hearts, he wants to be near us, he wants to be with us in the worst of times. So I leave this with you today. There are treasures that can encourage your heart. They can correct you. They can break off the lies of the enemy that says your life is going to end with no purpose or destiny. No, no real meaning. 
No, I will not be disgraced. You can rise up and say, God, be with me. You can, and you have teeth in it. There's traction in it. There's power in it. There's something you're touching of life because it's his word. It's not just wishful thinking. It's established in history. It's something solid. And God, we need it. We need it for what life throws at us. We need it to stand upon. We need his breath, his mercy, his love, and the reality of who he is. These are the treasures that make life worth living. So let me just end in reminding you, for those of you who maybe in the COVID season left the word behind or maybe you just need to get back into it and make that commitment, maybe those never ever took a, a step towards the word and it just doesn't make sense to you, approach it with humility. Approach it with humility. God, I want your breath. I need these resources for my life. Two, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you from the word. God, I need your word. I need it. Please teach me, Holy Spirit. And then last of all, bring the truths that you find to God in prayer and meditation. Think about them. Treat them like treasures. Like this is important. It can open up other treasures and your destiny as well. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning. Or... Join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.